All right. Well, since the beginning of last year, we have been discussing, focusing on the Christ. And um, we have considered the shadow of Christ. We've considered the life of Christ. We've then re- looked at the return of Christ at the beginning of, at the end of last year. And then we looked in the transition of the year into the reign of Christ, looking finally into the spiritual reign in our life, and then moving then into the reflection of Christ. And as we did that transition of the, the spiritual reign and, and the reflection, we said when Christ is reigning, residing and reigning in your heart, it will be reflected in your life, so that what we say and how we live will be a reflection of who or what is living in our heart. And so if the fact is that Christ is reigning, living and reigning in my heart, then I should be a reflection of Jesus Christ. And so, again... I know I've said it a lot, but, you know, just as repetition is the key to learning, that though the world may see me, it ought to be actually then the reflection of Jesus Christ. And so though they don't understand they're seeing Jesus, they are. And so as we're going to look a little bit later at 1 Peter 3 quickly as well, and as we saw it in our Bible reading, we're able to give have a reason for the hope that's within us. Because hopefully at that point they're going to see something in us that's different, and they're going to say, what is it? What's different about you than everybody else, and why is it? And when that happens, we're going to be ready to give that answer for the Jesus Christ and explain that it's Christ who lives in us. Well, we have looked at in this concept of reflection first as our speech and how Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so that our mouth, first of all, is the very first frontline reflection of Jesus Christ reigning within us. If Jesus is in my heart, then what's going to come out of my mouth? Jesus. And that's why we're talking about your your speech being salted, you know, that you are the salt of the earth. And so my speech ought to be salted with the word of God, the teachings of Jesus. If he really is my my master, if he really is my um, the my Lord and Savior, and I am his disciple, then his teachings ought to be flowing out of me. It just ought to be a very natural thing. Well, secondly, it ought to be our, our finances. And so Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, if Christ is reigning in my heart, then it ought to be reflected in my my treasures, in my finances. And we've spent the last six weeks looking at that reflection, the reflection of Christ in our finances. We want to look at the third uh, reflection beginning today. We're going to be looking at over this over the next few weeks, and that is in our relationships. Now, we have multiple relationships in our lives. And the Bible talks about the multiple relationships that we have. But the very first relationship that God ever designed was the marriage relationship. I mean, now this is apart from the relationship that we have with God himself. God created Adam, and he had a relationship with Adam. But the first human relationship that God ever designed for man was the marital relationship. He looked at Adam and said to Adam about Adam that it was not good for Adam to be alone, and so he made Adam a a helpmate. And so we understand that we have this very first one. It comes before kids and, and stuff like that. And so um, we have this marital relationship. And so it's that relationship that I want to look at beginning today. And very clearly, we know from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 on, okay, I'm going to read this real quickly here, that it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. 
So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, in this small passage, we have um, the teaching given to each spouse, the wife and then the husband, regarding that reflection of Christ that they're supposed to be giving. And I want to say before we get into this that not only is this the first relationship that God designed, I think there was a reason for that. It is the most important relationship in which we are going to reflect Jesus Christ to the world. Very clearly, we see the illustration there. We'll talk about this in a moment. Okay, But guys, you're to be reflecting Jesus in his love to the church. And ladies, you're, you're supposed to be reflecting the church to the world. And so when the world looks at us in this marital relationship, it ought to be something that's totally different than the world. And the, the darker this world's getting, and we can see in the relationships that this world has, if you have a biblical husband-wife relationship, it will be totally different than what the world sees. It ought to stick out like a sore thumb. Now, sore to them but not sore to us. Does that make sense? A sweet thumb, if you would, okay? And they want to look at it. We want to today looking at it, begin today looking at the wife's reflection. The wife's reflection. And as we see very clearly in the beginning of it, the wife's reflection can be summarized by the word submission. The wife is given a command. Wives, submit unto your own husbands. As to what? As to the Lord. Now, when we go through this, though, the debate always is, when we come to this, and this is the, one of these messages where I get myself in trouble, okay? Because I start to preach on women submitting, okay? Now, I appreciate the fact that I know I'm just I'm teaching the choir here, and you're all 100% on board with this thing, and so I'm really teaching this for the sake of the tape, so that when we put it on the Internet, the people who really don't believe this, they get to listen to this, right? Because you're all 100% on board with this. Anyways, that's all tongue-in-cheek, of course. So, the first question that you, you have to ask whether you've done this before or not, is what's the meaning of submission? What does it mean to submit? Because women want to know this. What does it mean? Well, the word is hupotasso. Now, there are two words within the context, we haven't gone into chapter 6, okay, that we're going to be looking at in these relationships, and then we'll look at some more. But there's another word, hupokuo, which will, um, it's in some of the passages as well. But hupotasso, hupokuo, let's just start with hupokuo, okay? And hupokuo comes from two Greek words, hupo meaning under, and akuo meaning Acoustics to hear. It means under the hearing of. That means that the minute I hear it, I've got to do it. Okay? Hupotasso, on the other hand, means under the authority of. Okay? And this is a willful placing of oneself under and heeding the authority of somebody else. Okay? And so I want to look at some of these passages in the, uh, in the New Testament here so we can kind of get a, a gleaning of what it is. So let's first of all turn to the book of Romans the book of Romans, because, again, compare spiritual things with spiritual things, so that's not just Bob's interpretation as a, uh, as a man, um, as a, a sexist and um, chauvinist coming up with these things. And uh, it's amazing, though, that um, the, the egalitarians in the, uh, the feminist movements 
You're saying, what's an egalitarian? Egalitarians are the ones who focus on the equal nature of people, and so they want to get rid of any um, difference in function. And they want to just get rid of all this by saying that Paul was a sexist. Paul was a, was a um, uh, what do you call it? A, um, the other word I just used. A chauvinist. And so they disregard everything that Paul stated. You know, but the one thing they, they, they fail to realize is what? What do we believe about the Word of God? It's the Word of God, not the Word of Paul. And that Paul was just a penman. And so to say that Paul was a chauvinist is to say that God is a chauvinist. And like I told my grandma years ago, she's passed away, got saved two weeks before she died, praise the Lord. But she, one point, used a bunch of not-so-nice names about God. In, in her descriptions of who God was, comparing to Adolf Hitler and different things. And, and my response to her was, Grandma, let's say you're right. Let's say, let's say God is as egotistical names you want to call him and, and all that kind of stuff. But here's where it boils down. In the end, you're going to die. And you're going to stand before God. And it really doesn't matter what you think about him. You're still going to give an account to him. And so the very first part of coming to God is to do what? To submit. Get it? Is acknowledge the fact that there's a God and he's what? He's in charge. Not me. And it doesn't matter what I think about what he's recorded as being the right way or not. I have to submit to that because that's the standard by which I'm going to be judged. So whether I like it or not. Well, what does it say here in Romans chapter 10 about this concept of authority? Well, verse 3, we read, For they, that is, being the Jews, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Well, okay, in this context, what does the concept of submission mean? Clearly, they had a what? They had a will. They had a volition to make a decision on their own. And what did they do or not do? They chose not to bring their volition and their will under that of God's. They saw what God, God's righteousness was, but they decided they wanted their own righteousness. And so they would not submit to the righteousness of God. Okay, Continue to chapter 13, where we talk about um, authority. And we, we discussed this um, earlier when we talked about taxation a couple weeks ago. Verse 1 says, let every soul be subject, submissive, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Drop down to verse 5. Therefore, you must be submissive, or subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, here's another side of this submission side to authority. Okay? I have a free volitional will to make the decision of whether I want to bring myself under the authority of somebody else. Yes? But it, it was kind of intimated there in chapter 10, but very clearly here in chapter 13, it's a little bit more overt. What happens? What's the other side of this free will submission to the, to the authority? Breaking the law, okay, but I can still do that if I want to. Is that true? But if I choose to do that, what's the other side of it? The consequences and repercussions. Because the authority is what? Still the authority. Does that make sense? 
And so when we talk about here, when we talk about with civil government, the reality is I'm responsible to submit unto the laws, regulations, the decrees, whatever, of the civil government, as long as they what? They don't violate God's law, the higher authority. Does that make sense? And so when, when a lower authority conflicts with that higher authority, which is God, then I'm supposed to obey God rather than men. And then at that point, then, I'm, then I have to be willing to do what? Suffer the consequences that may come my way based upon that lower authority, okay? But the reality is that still, again, the concept of submission is that still calling to me to submit. Does that make sense? I'm not forced to submit. I bear the consequences if I choose not to. But I don't have somebody yanking on me and forcing me to do something. Are, are, we, are we tracking so far? Okay. First Peter 2. We read First Peter 3 as our Bible reading this morning, but, and we'll be going to First Peter 3 in a little bit later. But First Peter 2 talks about this concept of submission as well. And the reason I want to do this passage as well is, again, this is context going into chapter 3. In 1 Peter 2, beginning at verse 13, we read, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Now, therefore is, um, is a key word, and it's there to draw what was written before into what was written now. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go back up to verse 11, now that we know this is therefore, to see what therefore is therefore. And so let's start at verse 11 and see, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, based upon the fact that we want the Gentiles to observe our good works, submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme, or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Drop down to verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable because of your of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Now turn over to chapter 5. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Now, the outside of the submitting to one another, okay, we'll talk about that in a few weeks from now, probably about a month, month and a half from now, okay? Um, yeah, probably more like a month and a half, two months from now. Anyways, uh, <laughs> the reality um, is that the common thread with all this submission is that there is a what? There is an authority, and then there is an individual who's called upon to do what? To bring, take their own free will, their own volition, and voluntarily place it under the authority of the other person or other entity. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, in it, we see, and we're going to see this in a moment as well, here in 1 Peter 2, that there is an ulterior motive for it as well. The ulterior motive is what? Not my benefit, but their benefit, God's benefit, that God's going to receive the glory and that these people are going to, by my good conduct, which they see, glorify God in the day of visitation. And that is for their benefit as well, not just mine. I mean, it's even if I don't want to, I do it because of others and because of, of God. Does that make sense? Well, in that then, oh yeah, Luke 7, 2 to 10, 
you can turn there if you want to. But this is the story of the centurion of Capernaum. Do you remember when Jesus went to Capernaum and he was met by the Jewish leaders and they said, you know, we have a centurion here who's helped build the the um, the synagogue. He's a he's a he's a godly man and uh, and he's got a servant who's sick and and he'd like you to 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 minister to, to his servant to heal his servant. Well, we then find out that there is an interaction between Jesus and the. The centurion, the centurion saying, looky, you know, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. He said, but here's what I know. I, too, am a man under authority. I say to one, come, and he comes. I say to one, go, and he goes. And I know that all you have to do is say the word, and this disease will what? Be gone away. I recognize the fact, Jesus, that you are the authority, and that everything else lives in what? Submission to your word. Now, here's the picture of this submission, because it's a submission to authority. The, the Roman centurion says, I say to this guy, go, and he what? He goes. I say to this one, come, and he comes. Whether it's a soldier or a bondservant, those are the two words that he uses in that context. He talks to his soldiers, and he talks to his douloses, his douloi, okay? His, his bond slaves, his bond servants. It's interesting that we are referred to as the douloi of Christ. We are the the bond slaves of Christ. And so if we are bond slaves, we should act just like this Gentile centurion understood the concept of submission was. All we had to do was say the word. And the servant understood who he was. He was the what? Servant. And yeah, and the centurion was the master. And so when the master opened his mouth, it's kind of like in um, boot camp. When the years ago, anyway, when the real army, right, Rodney, and and the the DI, the drill instructor would say jump, that you would have to say, how high? Now they say you're you're really you're 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 affecting me negatively and 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 everything. So, anyways, um, the life has changed. Anyways, yes, and but the reality is that's the concept then of this submission. It is voluntarily bringing myself under and heeding the authority of, of someone else. Well, what's the standard of submission? Very clearly in the passage, that standard of submission is as to the Lord. Turn with me. Well, that's right. You don't turn with me. i got some of these up here. Colossians 3.18. We can look at this real quick. It says, Why submit yourselves to your own husbands as to or as is fitting in the Lord? And the word fitting there actually means that which is proper. This is your proper conduct in the world. This is not over and above. This is not superwoman. This isn't the, the concept of being the Proverbs 31 woman manifested. This is just what? It's just what you should do. I mean, and it's interesting to me that as we're talking about this, I've already started off the conversation that, that the world isn't like this. And so therefore, as we live this kind of life, it should what? It should look cattywampus to what the world's doing. And biblically, it shouldn't be cattywampus at all. Does that make sense? Colossians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. In 1 Corinthians 11, there is a hierarchical um, rendering um, of authority that is given to us. And we're told that even in the Godhead, that there is a hierarchy of authority. The Father is is number one. Now, I know from Jesus' words in John 14 and John 16 that he's number two. 
because he says that it's profitable for us for him to leave because when he leaves, he's going to have the Father send the Spirit. So the Spirit is number three. And yet I know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are what? Are one and the same, but they're all equal. Philippians chapter 2 tells me that let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the morphe, the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Well, why wasn't it robbery to, to call himself equal with God? Because it was his. If it's mine, it's not robbery. If I take something that belongs to you, it's thievery. But if I take something that belongs to me, it's just mine. So who, what's the big deal? I swiped my M&Ms. Really? No, you can't swipe your own M&Ms. Now I can swipe your M&Ms. Yeah, Mark says, no way. And, uh, <laughs> that's right. But, but that would be the thing. If, if I took your M&Ms, that would be what? Thievery, especially if I didn't ask. Okay? And so if I didn't ask and I just took them, it's thievery. Okay? It's stealing. But if I take my own, it's nothing. And so Jesus, we're told, could take God, headness to himself, because it was his to take. Make sense? Okay? So, but yet we're told that the head of Christ is is God. So within the Godhead, even though there's this equality across the board, yet there is this subordination of function. There's a hierarchy of authority that goes on within the Godhead. And we're told in that same light, using that same analogy, that so there is in humanity. And that the head of woman is man. But that man needs to understand that he is accountable to who? Christ. That's exactly right. That there is that that hierarchy that goes on. Now, this is important because, remember back over here in Ephesians 5, up here, I keep that up in that top corner, why submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord? Because, 1 Corinthians 11, you understand that hierarchical structure of authority. And that, again, as we talked about that civilian authority underneath the, the authority of God, right? That ultimately... That when I, let's say I'm a female, I'm a wife, okay? When I submit to my husband, I understand that ultimately my submission is not to my husband, but rather to the authority structure that is above him, and that is Jesus Christ. And so when I submit to my husband, I have to submit to my husband as I would as unto Jesus Christ, because there is no authority, Romans 13, except for that which has been what? Given by God. And so God tells us that he has set up this hierarchical structure of authority. And to kick against it, again, Romans 13, is to kick against God. I can't think of, there, for a woman in our, living in our culture, a harder task to do. We live in a culture that continually calls upon women to be independent, and to be their own person. And to not listen to the jerk that they live with. And though I don't watch the sitcoms, I do kind of glean from the things that are written about things and stuff like that. And many of the sitcoms today, how do they, how do they show, how do they, they, they show the husband? Dummy. Say again? Like a dummy. Like a dummy. Like a dummy. There's teaching going on on all those things. It's not just humor. But Hollywood changes and Hollywood manipulates our culture. 
People say, oh no, it's just a reflection of our culture. Oh no, it's not. Now, before I was saved, I used to watch soap operas a lot. Because my mom watched them. I watched them. I can tell you about Luke and Laura. And, uh, and, and all those things. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now, see, now I, 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 see, now I got a reaction out of Luke and Laura so from some of you older people. Cause, cause you all know who Luke and Laura are. And my kids are saying, I haven't got a clue. And I praise God for that. Anyways. But so, so, you want to throw stones at me. But everybody who just laughed with Luke and Laura, you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, Mark's saying I'm still young. I'm God for that. Anyways. And, and so, but Luke and Laura, yeah, good Donald. Yeah, you were working at the time. Anyways. But, 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 but Luke and Laura, you know, they were from General Hospital, and they were the thing at the time, okay? And that was a, it was a big deal, okay? Well, people said back at that time, oh, it's just a reflection of society. But I can tell you from watching all that, the things that they were putting on General Hospital at the time were not what the culture was, but rather it is what the culture is now. Why do you think the culture became that way? Because slowly, Hollywood, the world, okay, and I'm going to just pick on Hollywood, began to teach us this is what we're supposed to be like, okay? And so they begin to, to, to undermine that authority structure that God has, has placed, okay? And so the very first thing we got to see here in this standard submission, that it's to the Lord. It's not to a guy. It's not to your husband. Your submission to your husband is not because of him, but it's because of Jesus Christ. And that has got to be the focus. And that, ladies, is the reflection that people are going to see. That despite the jerk that you live with. Now understand, I would say that about my wife. My wife has to put up with this jerk. Now you see me on Sundays and you may think I'm pretty cool or whatever. But she knows the real Bob. Okay? Shh. Don't say anything. And, uh, okay? And, and so my kids, the same way, you know, I mean, you know, I love it when your kids come up and they, they, they hug all over me and they love me and stuff like that. But if they live with me, they wouldn't be doing that. Anyways, uh, um, but no, hopefully they would. But anyways, but still the point is we don't see the other side of people. Does that make sense? Okay. And the reality is that all you ladies in this room have one thing in common, ladies who are married, there's one thing in common about all your husbands. They're all what? Sinners. But I can equally say next week when I talk about the husbands that they all have one thing in common about their wives. You're all sinners. Okay? And so when the ladies like to say that men are just dirt, you know, because God took dirt and they put them all together, and I said, just remember, you're just a piece of dirt. Anyways, uh, anyways, so let's get that out of the way. Okay, so anyways, so we've got to be careful of throwing those things, you know, you're just a bunch of dirt. and so. Okay, we're sinners. We're imperfect beings. None of us have attained to the glory of God in and of ourselves. Does that make sense? And so it doesn't matter what marred image you live with. It's your marred image to live with. And so the submission that you have to deal with, with that marred image, is beyond him. And that is to Jesus Christ. Okay? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. Now's where we start um, getting in trouble. You said, really? Now? Well, yeah, that was, if you thought that was bad enough, no, that's... that's Let's start applying this, this submission to authority thing. How does it work out in the Bible? What, is it, what does it look like scripturally? Well, 1 Corinthians 14, beginning verse 29, we read, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. 
For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it only you that it reached? Now, let me ask a question contextually here first. And when it said that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, what do you think it meant? Do you think it means that that as I'm speaking, so I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm teaching the word of God, so I am standing in the sense as a prophet, okay? But let's say the word of God comes to one of you, and you have something from the word of God you want to share. And we do that sometimes, and I, I, I want to encourage you, just as an aside here, that I'm very okay with that. That the Bible talks about a dialogue. It's not about me standing up and it's the Bob show here, okay? It's all about the word of God, not about Bob. Okay, and I know I got my outline, and, and, and I'm tied to my outline sometimes, and I struggle with that. But I've given that to the Lord that if if God wants to do something else in the assembly, I'm okay with that too. I'm just going to go back to my outline when, I, when we're done with all that process, and I'm going to continue my, my train of thought. But still, I'm okay with being derailed for a while. I do that quite easily on my own. Okay, and so so if somebody came up with something, and and so let's say Steve, pick on Steve, he's closer to the front here, and all of a sudden he cannot put up his hand like this. Okay. Now he didn't just start blurting out. That would be rude. Okay. So he politely put up his hand, letting me know that God gave him something to, sh- to share. Now I see him, but my spirit says what? No. Well, yeah. It's sh- no. See, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. I may be thinking to myself, I've got to sit down. But if my spirit says, no, no, we're talking, man. We're talking. We got it going. We're flowing. It wouldn't be what submissive to what I knew to do was right. Does that make sense? Is that what you picture? Is the spirit of the prophet a subject of the prophet? No, of course not. What we picture is I see the hand, and I find that stopping point, and I do what? I sit down, okay? That I have control over my spirit, and that when he is done, I can stand back up and I can continue. That's the concept of submission. Well, the same word, hupotasso, that's what that word is, hupotasso there, the same word now is used about the wife and the woman. When it says, let your woman keep silent in the church. And if a woman wants to learn anything, okay, she should ask her husband at home that she should learn in what? Submission. Now, I don't think that the concept here, okay, and I'll show you this biblically, hopefully, that it means that, women, you can't even sneeze in the assembly. Okay, that's not the concept here. What is the whole deal of this context? That's why we're reading context. What is the context all about? Authority and teaching the word. Yes? That's what exactly it's about. And so when it says that the women are supposed to keep silent in the church, it means that they're not supposed to be the ones who are doing what? teaching they're not supposed to be the ones prophesying okay and so if they feel like oh oh i want to share something in the middle of this message and you want to teach you want to expound upon the passage i didn't say this god said this what should you do ask your husband at home okay or share with your husband what you're seeing and then if your husband believes that it's that it needs to be stated then he would do what? He'd stated. He'd put up his hand. 
Does that make sense? Now, that sounds like we're saying that women are inferior. And again, we're not talking about the, the equality of nature. Remember, we've already talked about this with the Godhead. Because Jesus said that it was his, his function, his glory, was to come to do the will of the Father. It didn't necessarily mean that he was lesser than the Father. He was equal with the Father. He had just a different function. And the Holy Spirit had to come, and he had to not teach me his own stuff, but the Holy Spirit only would teach me the things that Jesus told him to teach me. Does that make sense? And so, in a sense, he was has to be submissive. Even now, living in me, I mean, he's stuck with me. Make sense? And so, he had to come live with me, and he teaches me that which Jesus is. So, the same thing here, it's the same concept that's going on with the submission, okay? The Word of God says that a woman, in in her expression of submission to the authority of her husband, will not put out a public pretense of usurping his authority. Chiefly here in the assembly. That when we gather together as a body of believers, that the wife will seek to honor her husband by encouraging him as a spiritual leader of the home. Now, I don't have a problem with a woman who is earnestly seeking to be taught. Okay? And so I don't have a problem if every once in a while that's happening. But I want to encourage you women to turn around to your husband. If you've got a question about the message, not because I don't want you to ask the question. I'm okay with that. Now, I've had times in the past where I've had women that I felt were very leading in their questions and challenging of the authority of the message and stuff like that. And I've had to go talk to husbands in the past. Not necessarily here, but in the previous church as well. And I'll do that. And so, if you ladies ever wonder, then if if that happened, I'm talking to your husband. So if your husband hasn't come to you, either A, he's not doing what he's supposed to do as a spiritual leader because I talked to him, or I haven't talked to him. So, you know, people always wonder, oh, you know, don't worry about it. But you can encourage your husband as that spiritual leader, which we're going to talk about next week, him being, okay, that you can encourage him as a spiritual leader by turning to him and asking him the question, what do you think he meant by that? Well, I think that he meant this, or we'll talk about that later, honey. Um, Or maybe, gee, I don't know. I'll ask the question, you know. And so your husband can ask the question and get the answer for you, okay? And then that's honoring the hierarchical structure of authority that God has established, okay? Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. Now, in Titus 2, beginning at, at verse 1, just for the context here, um, that um, Paul is giving Titus some instruction for how he can teach the body. And in, um, in their rules in each one of the, the levels that they're at. And so he starts off in verse 1, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper... Okay, this is our word proper again, fitting. They're proper for sound doctrine. And what's neat here is this word for sound is the, um, is the word where we get our word hygienics from. Okay, it's talking about healthy or wholesome. So healthy, wholesome doctrine. In other words, this is doctrine, this is teaching that's going to help you to what? To grow, be healthy. Okay, so, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, Sound in faith, in love, and patience. The older women, likewise, 
that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, and that they admonish the young woman to what? To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, and then to be submissive. This is our word submissive here, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be what? Blasphemed. Again, this is, Paul starts off with saying that this is sound and healthy teaching. Why? Because I want the body to be sound and healthy. I want it to function properly. It's why I don't want you to eat a bunch of fatty foods. It's why I don't want you to, or why I do want you to eat all your vegetables and all your, all your, your vitamins and everything else. I want your body to be healthy. Well, the same thing as the body of Christ. I want the body to be functioning healthily. Okay? Well, a healthy body, if you would, is a, from the body of Christ, is only going to be functioning healthily. I'm making up a word, healthily. Anyways, if our individual parts coming into it are functioning wholesomely or healthily. Does that make sense? And so if my, if my husband-wife relationships coming into that assembly aren't functioning properly, how can I ever expect the body to be functioning properly? And I can tell you, taking 1 Corinthians 14 and then bringing this into it, that when I left the previous church I was at. Now, some of you were there, and so take this for what it's worth. In the very last meetings that were there, when there were major eruptions, the majority of the eruptions came from women and not from men. Many times when you find a problem in the church, behind it is a woman. Does anybody know where the Seventh-day Adventist church began? A woman, Ellen G. White. I believe, I, and I, I wanted to have the name here, and I, I, I believe Jehovah's Witnesses was begun by a, a woman as well. I could be wrong on that, but I believe that's the truth. That, that's true. Um, I'll have to check that to verify myself. But it's amazing to me how many, if you go through, how many cultic kind of things are begun by, by women who are not seeking to be in submission to godly authority. I didn't establish it. God did. And Paul tells Titus to tell the older woman that the thing that they can encourage the younger woman to do is to love their husbands and what? Submit to them. So that the name of Christ, the name of God, will not be blasphemed. 1 Peter 3. This was part of our, our scripture reading for this morning. 1 Peter 3. And the reason, again, we read part of that chapter 2 stuff looking at the, the meaning of submission is that Paul starts, or Paul, yeah, Peter starts in chapter 3 here talking to the wives, but he uses the word likewise. He says, wives, likewise, meaning just like I taught you before regarding that submission thing to the, the kings and to your masters, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. So before we go on and discuss this, because the term likewise is there, he's drawing a parallel okay, to everything that was re- we read in chapter 2. And that is, just as you were supposed to be submissive to the governing authorities, and just as you were supposed to be submissive to your masters, you're supposed to be submissive to 
your husbands. Well, what are the things in chapter 2, hopefully you're there and you can look back up into chapter 2, what are some of the things that he told us regarding that submission to the governing authorities and to the, and to the masters? That you were to be submissive regardless of what? How they acted, whether they were a good master or a, a bad master, whether they treated you kindly or whether they treated you poorly. Remember when we talked about this, when we talked about taxation as well, that when Paul wrote Romans chapter 13 about submitting to the governing authorities because there is no authority except that which is appointed by God, who was the governing authority? Nero. Nero. Nero, the guy who took Christians and, and stuck them on a peg and put the tar and pitch over them and lit them on fire as the, as the street lights for the city. And Paul's saying, that's the guy that you need to submit to. Knowing that he's there because God put him there. That's kind of rough. Ladies, likewise, wives, you are to submit to your husband. It doesn't matter whether the guy is just one notch below Jesus Christ. I know that nobody's perfect on the earth, but this guy is just there. I mean, phew. I mean, I don't know where he's missed it. Now, when you ladies all like to have that guy, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the guy on the other side of the, the fence. You know how the grass is always greener? That, that's the other guy, okay? And I remember years ago um, having um, someone idolize me, okay? And my thought always was, but if I left my wife to go to you, then I would cease to be what? The guy that you're idolizing. Does that make sense? Okay? And needless to say, I wasn't the guy she wanted to be idolizing anyway. She just didn't know me in, in, in every realm of my life. Okay? And so, but the same thing is, I know, ladies, as men may lust physically, women many times lust relationally. Okay? And so and you've got to be careful. It's all the same lust. It's all the, it's all the lust of the flesh. Okay? And so you've got to be careful of looking for that, that, that perfect version of the husband that's out there. Okay? He doesn't exist. I promise you, he does not exist. Okay? And, <laughs> and it is amen. You're right. But <laughs> I thought it was funny. Anyways, but he doesn't exist. He's not out there. And so you're told to submit to the version 1.0, 1.01, 2.01 that you have. It doesn't matter what he's like. He's yours. And there was a day when you said what? I do. <laughs> and now you said, I did. Anyways, <laughs> but you said, I do. And so he is. And so wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. Hmm. What does that mean? That means he's not godly. That means he's not obeying the word of God. That means he is what? Disobedient to God's truth. Now, isn't that some of the things that, I mean, especially as marriage counseling, I get all the time. Okay? I mean, it's amazing how the men know the qualifications for the woman and how the women know the qualifications for the men. But... But they have amnesia when it comes to their own. And so how many times I have a woman who wants to come and tell me that their, their husband is not loving them like Christ loved the church. I never read in God's word, either in Ephesians 5, 
which again, it's continually up there, so we can keep looking at it back and forth, making sure we're, we're tracking here. Or in 1 Peter 3, or in Titus chapter 2, I never read that a woman is supposed to submit unto a husband as long as he's loving her like Christ of the church. Do you know what would, there would be in our world if that was the case? Total anarchy. Because not a woman would have to submit to her husband. Because there's not a man who measures up to the standard of Christ loving the church. Now, that's still the standard that we're going to strive for. We're going to talk about that in a moment, guys. Not very long. We're bringing it back up next week. We get, you know, a little bit over one week of getting banged on. And so, but the fact is that, ladies, you're called upon to submit even if he's not an obedient to the word. They, so that you, you submit that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by phobos, fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious, very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah Hupokuo obeyed, not just did he, she submit herself, but she obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid, phobeo, that's the, the verb form of phobos, with any terror, so that you are the daughter of Sarah, if you will submit and obey your husband, doing it without what? Without that fear, without that terror, okay? Now, I want to come back to that in a moment. Okay, but here's the deal. Think about this illustration of Sarah. Sarai, before she becomes Sarah. There was a famine in the land. And so Abraham, as the, as the head of the house, seeking to take care of his family, decided what? They needed to go someplace to find some food. So they're going to go to Egypt. Well, as they get to Egypt, however it happens, I don't know, but he, he finds out that that the Egyptians, you know, that Pharaoh likes to gather together beautiful women. And so, even though his wife is approximately how old? Yeah, I don't know if she's 90 at this point, but she's quite old, somewhere between 65 and 90, okay? That they go to, um, excuse me, they go to Egypt. He decides that she's what? She's a beautiful woman, and there's a possibility that Pharaoh may want her. Well, if it's his wife, clearly Pharaoh can't have her. And so the Egyptians found a way around it, and they, that, that would be that they would what? Kill the husband. You kill the husband, it's no longer adultery, because there is no husband, so now you can just have the, the woman. So we all like to do our justifications of things, and so that's how they did it. So Abraham said to her, here's how you can show your, your love for me. You can tell, when, they, when they ask who you are, just tell them you're my you're my sister. Now, it's only a half-truth, because it was a half-sister, so it was a half-truth, right? And so, you know, the, she really was kind of like a sister, you know? It's a, you know, a son, a, a, let's see. It was the daughter of her, his father, but not the daughter of his mother, okay? And so, now, wives, I mean, I've got a wife. I can figure this one out. I'm sure that, you know, you all probably are pretty similar to Marcia in this one. If I went someplace and I told Marcia because I was afraid of, I was going to get killed, that go ahead and tell them that you're my sister, knowing that what I'm saying is, by saying that, that what? 
they can take you. That What I'm saying is Pharaoh can go ahead and have you. Just as long as it saves the skin of my own neck. Okay? You ladies, honestly, being the, the righteous, godly, honorable, faithful woman that you are, would all say, as you wish, my lord. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We don't live in that culture, do we? I think that I would see Mother Cat come out. What do you mean? <laughs> you know? Now, you know, however it would happen. Do you get it? I mean, but this is this, this is the illustration. This is the, the, the picture that Peter's talking about of this submission and obedience thing. He says, like Sarah. Now, know what it says here, though, in, in, in 1 Peter 3. What he says, first of all, he says, back up in chapter 2, that when they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by phobos, accompanied by fear. So when the, out, when the people on the outside see how you reverence your husband, see how you submit unto your husband with fear, they're going to note that. But down in verse 7, or down in verse 6, we read that, that Sarah bade Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. How do you bring the two things together? Because we read in Ephesians 5, down in verse 33, that we're told as a final admonition to the woman, let the wife see that she respects. It's not the word respects. It's not the word for honor, tamao. Okay? But rather it's the word phobeo, to fear. It's amazing that in this, in this, um, uh, passage, that this is the, one of the only places in, in the whole New Testament that phobeo is translated as respect. Now you can see I have the little definition there. Phobeo means to fear. And its shades of fear, okay, can go range from anywhere from terror to just respect. Having a little anxiousness in between there, okay? That's kind of the, the middle ground between the two, okay? But what I've done here is we're not going to go through each one of these, okay, um, through context, okay? Uh, yeah, you probably can't see it, and I'm sorry about that, but what I, what I want to do is just inundate you real quickly. These are not all of them. This is just the book of Matthew. This is every place in the book of Matthew that this Greek word, the verb form of phobeo, is shown. In every one of these places, it talks about not respect fear, but rather it talks about terror fear, okay? And so when Joseph, um, I'm sorry, yes, when Joseph had the, um, the, the angel come to him, the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Now, do you think he was saying, Joseph, son of David, do not respect me? No, he's saying what? Don't be terrified of me, okay? I mean, Joseph falls down. He says, don't be terrified. In Matthew chapter 2, when it says that... Um, when Joseph was going to go back to Jerusalem, that it says that, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was reverenced to go there. No, it says he was afraid to go there. And we know that it's afraid because he was warned of God in a dream, and so he went to Galilee instead. Do you understand? The, what I'm trying to get at here is you come through every one of these passages, and I can give you, if you want it, I have this all on, in a file, and I can give you every passage in the New Testament where this, this verb form is used, okay? And what you're going to find here in the book of Acts as well, all these different places in the book of Acts, that it talks about fear, 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 being afraid, not respecting. Okay? That is a very um, infrequent, if you ever used, concept of the word 
phobeo in phobos. We use the word phobos where we get the phobias, okay? And understand that some people have a healthy respect for spiders. But if you say they have acnidophobia, is that my right? Arachophobia. Arachophobia, then you don't picture just somebody looking at it and going, my, that is an outstanding, exquisite um, looking spider. And, and they walk around it showing great reverence and respect for the, for the spider. Rather, if somebody has arachnophobia, what do you do? They run the other way, you know? There's a little bitty spider inside the mailbox. I'm sure it's got to be a, 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 a black widow or a brown recluse, and therefore I'm not going anywhere near it, okay? And so, sure. So we understand the concept that we have here, but also we, we bring it into this concept of, of with the, the wife and the husband that it wants to be respect. Now, what I want to say about that? Well, I want to go back to the concept of, of the love, okay? Which we're going to pick this up. This is our transition to the men. Do you remember that when 1 Peter 3, when it says that the people on the outside are going to see you have this fear, but then it turns around and says, but like Sarah, there's not going to be any fear with what? Terror. In other words, there is going to be this concept of understanding that your husband is what? The authority. He is the authority. Regardless of what our culture states, before God, he is the authority. And you have it on the the higher authority, not the civilian authority, but on a higher authority, that the authority that is above you is your husband. And And for you to disregard the authority of your husband is to disregard the authority of God. And you ought to have a healthy fear in that role. To disobey, to disregard, to disrespect, to be unsubmissive to your husband is to be unsubmissive to God. Okay? But guys, here's a little preliminary coming in the next week. Ladies, make sure your husbands are here. Oh, I'm sorry. They're spiritual leaders. They'll be here. Anyways, um, we can make this submission thing a whole lot easier on our wives if we would just love them like Christ loved the church. Or at least if we what? Try to. If, if they understood that that was my goal in life, I may blow it. I, do I blow it, honey? Shh. Anyways, I blow it a lot. But I, I hope that she knows that my ultimate goal, my ultimate hunger and desire would be to love her like Christ of the church. And even though my flesh gets in the way at times, and i got to come back and say, okay, I blew it. I really want to continually grow in that. And if I do that, she being a sinner struggling with the submission thing on her part, will be more apt to work on the submission thing and wanting to do her biblical part because she knows what? I'm not the tyrant. And she doesn't have to live in terror of my authority. Rather, it can be the softer respect and reverence side of that fear, that she understands the authority is there to wield the power, but rather... The authority rather wield, the authority would rather wield grace and mercy instead. Does that make sense? And so we read in First John four eighteen and nineteen: There is no fear in love, because or but perfect love casts out fear. And so, guys, I know some women through counseling and situations, okay, who had the fear literally when we talk about fear, fear. Their husbands. They worried about the eruptions of their husbands. They worried about whether he was going to abuse them. 
whether it was physically, whether it was emotionally, whether it was verbally, okay? And I know a woman who, she was married to him for well over 50 years. An incredible woman, incredible woman. Physical abuse, verbal abuse, mental abuse, I mean, just still served him. Incredible woman. And I remember she came to my office um, one day, and it was their, their 15th anniversary, and I said, have you decided what you're giving them? And I'm not going to give you names because some of you may know the names. Have you decided what you're going to give them? She says, I'm going to give them divorce papers. And uh, <laughs> she was joking. It was tongue in cheek. But, but, but here's the deal. All those years, she dealt with this. And inwardly, in her flesh, she knew what she wanted to give them. I mean, she wanted to give them the frying pan. She wanted to give them the dishes back. She wanted to give them the divorce papers. I mean, you know, but before the Lord, she wanted to give him the reverence and respect that he had because he was the husband. Now, this woman wasn't a biblical scholar at all. She would struggle, okay? And some of you would be amazed what I'm telling you about. And um, some of you may guess it. But amazing. I I liken her to Sister Teresa, you know, or Mother Teresa or whatever they, they want to call her, okay? And you know, when we try to put out these things, to for a woman in our day and age to have put up with the guy that she put up with, and I knew the guy, I met with the guy, to put up with this guy for as many years as she did, I believe, she's passed on now, that she has great rewards in heaven. Because she didn't just submit to this guy who was not living according to the word and died not living according to the word. And I got to do that funeral, and that was fun, or not so fun, however you want to look at that. That she made it all the way through, like Paul said, I finished the course, I'd run the race. And henceforth there is a crown laid up for me. Ladies, you have to be able, again, the standard of submission is to look beyond your husband and understand that you're doing it as unto the, the Lord. That your submission to, to that guy isn't to that guy. It's ultimately to Jesus Christ. Well, finally, what's the illustration of it? It's the church. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that in weeks to come when we start talking about the, the corporate reflection, which is the church. But suffice it to say for here then, closing this out. Ladies, wives, because how well are you reflecting Christ in your relationship with your husband? Now, some of you, I understand, you're not in that position. You're not wives yet. You're younger ladies or whatever. So I want to ask you, where are you at in your concept of submission to authority? Are you ready when God brings that right man along to totally place yourself under his authority? Now, if you're still in your father's house, one of the ways that you can work on that and you can prove it is how well are you submitting to your father's authority? That's the authority that's over you right now. Secondly, are you seeking to be submissive to your husband's authority as a reflection of your submission to Christ's authority and spiritual reign of your heart? And guys, which shade of phobos, fear, does your wife need to lean toward in her relationship with you? Does she respect you, quote-unquote, because she fears you, or does she respect you, quote-unquote, because of your love for her, because she knows that you want to do your part in it, which we'll talk about next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I thank you that we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, I pray that um, that you would help us as believers to 
to live according to the standard of your word that you've placed out. And Lord, I know that this is a hard, a hard teaching, especially for the women. But God, I pray that they would delight in obeying you. And therefore, then they would submit to their husbands. Lord, I pray that you would help us as men to make that easy. That we would love our wives like Christ loved the church. That we would be, as husbands and wives, that illustration of Jesus Christ in the church to this world. That many would come to know you, Lord, as their Savior. That your name would not be blasphemed, but that you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.